You're listening to a sermon series by Grace City Church, a church plant in Green Square in Sydney. For more information about us, visit gracecity.com.au. Honour and privilege to get to open God's Word with you this morning. Uh, so if you've got a Bible there, do open it to Philippians chapter 2. Um, and if you don't have a Bible or maybe you've never opened one before, I've tried to make it as easy as possible. Uh, you can follow the QR code on the screen. It'll take you straight to the passage. So you can have it there or, or follow along, maybe read it again later in the week. Well, I wonder if you've ever received unexpected feedback. The kind of feedback that maybe you didn't expect to receive or didn't want to receive. Judging from a couple laughs in the audience, I'm thinking maybe people can relate. Uh, In most workplaces, you have an annual performance review. It's an opportunity uh, to put your best self forward and, uh, and hope maybe that you'll get some good feedback, a good review, and maybe even a sweet pay rise. Well... Before studying for full-time ministry, I finished school, I went to uni, and I worked at a bank for three years. At one point, I worked in the design team, and a big part of my job was designing things and then presenting things. Our team worked in a way that meant uh, you would present three times a week, which is quite a lot of presenting, and so I'd been in the team for about six months, and the time comes for my annual performance review. Well, I still remember the pokey little office sort of room that my manager called me into. And so we're going through my review. And so far, it's all very polite and very lovely. And then my boss looks down at his sheet of paper and looks back up at me and says, Max, when you present, your confidence is great. You're clear and passionate and clearly think what you've designed is good. But perhaps you'd do well to temper your confidence with a touch of humility. <laughs> Let me tell you, those words are etched in my brain. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I know how to read between the lines. What my boss was saying is, Max, you're overconfident and you have zero humility. <laughs> so I'm not sure what your relationship with humility is like, but it seems to me that humility is uh, somewhat of an enigma. What I mean is that it's a little puzzling and mysterious. It's hard to find. I mean true humility. Mother Teresa, she called it uh, the mother of all virtues, and yet it can be hard to find and even harder to cultivate in ourselves. John Dixon, in his book titled Humilitas, says that humility stands alone in the virtues, in that as soon as you think you have it, you probably don't. So it raises the question, how can we cultivate humility? As we open God's word together, it's, it's right here in Philippians chapter 2 that I believe we will find the key to true humility. Well, if you're the kind of person uh, that takes notes in sermons, and I encourage you to do so, why not write down uh, that question? You might like to write it down. It says, how can we cultivate humility? Now, as you're doing that, I see the irony. Does Max think that now he has attained humility? (laughs) If so, I almost certainly have not. And if not, why am I qualified to speak on the topic? Well, the honest truth is that I still struggle with humility and pride. 100%, straight up, I'll be honest. Humility is not my natural inclination. Now, perhaps it is for you. Perhaps it is. But 
in my experience, humility, true humility, is hard. It's difficult. And so as I stand before you today, and as we ask that question, how can we cultivate humility, I do not do so as someone who has already attained humility, but as someone who is ready to humble myself before God's word and learn together. Because the key to humility is not going to be found in flashy sermon slides, clever one-liners. As we'll see, the key to humility is found in God's word. So take a look with me from verse 2. It says this, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. The first thing that I want us to notice is that if we want to cultivate humility, we must be motivated by unity, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. These are pictures of unity. To the church in Philippi, Paul wants them to live in unity with one another. But why? Well, the context, just before our passage, right at the end of chapter 1, is that the Philippian church is facing fierce external opposition from their surrounding culture and city. And so into that context, Paul says, whatever happens, in chapter 1, verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. In Paul's mind, Unity will see them through their storms. They need to stand firm for Jesus together. And if they're going to do that, they're going to need humility. When the world opposes them, and for us, when the world opposes us, when your friends, maybe your family or your colleagues oppose you for your faith, living in unity is one of the ways that we will weather the storm. And not just that, it's also a huge witness opportunity to the world. Right before Jesus was killed, he prays for all believers. And take a look at what he says. I pray also for those who will believe in me, that's us, through their message, that all of them may be one. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them. You see, our unity shows the world that Jesus is the Christ. On a practical level, unity might look like disagreeing well. We're a church full of different people with different stories and different backgrounds. And being human, it's only natural that we will disagree sometime. But if we're going to pursue unity, if we're pursuing unity rather than getting all riled up, Unity looks like disagreeing well, saying to the other person, I hear you, I respect your perspective, it's different to mine, and that's okay, because we're united in Christ. And when we look like that, the world will know that Jesus is the Christ, sent by God. And so that is our motivation. If we want the world to see Jesus, we need to be united not pluralistic where anything goes and right doctrine doesn't matter, but united around the truth of the gospel, 
that Jesus is God and that his word is true. So motivated by unity, motivated by the way it strengthens believers and the way it points people to Jesus, we will pursue humility. Verse 3, it says, In humility, value others above yourselves. And so if we want to cultivate humility, we must first be motivated by unity, by a, a love for others. And second, our humility must be modelled on Jesus. Take a look at verse 5. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus is the supreme example of true humility. And so in verses 6 to 11, Paul lays out a kind of ancient hymn all about the life and humility of Jesus. Take a look from the end of verse 5. It says, Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. At the heart of biblical Christianity is the assertion that Jesus is God. He's not a God. He's not a superhuman semi-God. Jesus is himself being in very nature God. That's what it says. Completely equal with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. But what Jesus does with this status, what he does with his position of power and absolute deity is astounding. Take a look from verse 6. It says that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. For ancient Jews and Romans and for modern-day Muslims, the idea that God himself might take on human flesh, come and dwell with us, is scandalous. It's ridiculous almost. And not just that God would take on our flesh, fleshly, complex, human existence, but that he would die for us and for you. Verse 8, it says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus uses his position in service of others. Could you do that? Thinking practically, how could you bless someone this week? Maybe using your position of power, of influence, the things that you have. How could you bless someone this week? When me and Kate were expecting our first child, Lucy, who's just outside in creche, hopefully not crying too much, Kate's application for maternity leave was denied by her employer. The request was sent to their centralised HR team and it was rejected. Kate was three months pregnant at the time and was faced with the prospects of no paid maternity leave and no income for either of us with me at college. Her boss, who held considerable influence with the senior leadership and the business, used his position to advocate for her. The denial was overturned and she was able to receive the paid maternity leave that she was entitled to. 
What her boss did, that's humility. Using his position and power in the service of someone else that he didn't need to do. So how could you use your influence to bless someone this week? Well, as we're thinking about the example of Jesus, stop with me and notice two more things that the life of Jesus teach us about true humility. First, true humility does not make Jesus less. Verse 6 tells us, as we saw, that Jesus was and is equal with God. But, what he, but when he humbles himself, when he takes on the nature of a servant, he doesn't lose anything. Jesus doesn't lose something by humbling himself. Yes, it requires sacrifice. Yes, it requires taking the, the lowly position. But true humility, it doesn't take away from you. It doesn't make you less. In fact, the reality is that humility leads to exaltation. That might be controversial to say or, or sound almost anti-humility, but true humility comes before praise. Notice with me that this ancient hymn has a shape to it. You might have looked at it in community group if you're in one of them this week, uh, but look and see that there's a downward movement in verses 6 to 8. It says, Jesus, in very nature God, was equal to God, made himself nothing, and became a servant, became a human, and as a man even humbled himself, even to death, even death on a cross. See that, that downward move, movement, that shape. Jesus, who is God himself, completely innocent, humbles himself, even to the point of death. Verse 9, though, continues, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. You see, true humility leads to exaltation. Just last month, uh, the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II was held in London at Westminster Abbey. 2,000 people packed the building, and apparently somewhere in the order of 4 billion people watched at least a portion of the funeral on TV or online. That's amazing. So chances are maybe some of you watched it. Maybe you're in the 4 billion. Here's a photo uh, of Her Majesty's coffin being carried into Westminster Abbey by the pallbearers. Well, I'm not sure if you consider yourself a monarchist, uh, but chances are you, you did watch at least a small snippet of it. And uh, if you watched the sermon reflecting on the life of the late Queen Elizabeth II, the Archbishop of Canterbury said this. He said, the pattern for many leaders is to be exalted in life and forgotten in death. The pattern for all who serve God, famous or obscure, respected or ignored, is that death is the door to glory. You see, what the Archbishop noticed is that for many leaders, and I suspect many people in general, the goal in life is glory. But after they die, forgotten. But when we look to Jesus we see the opposite. We see that true humility leads to exaltation. In Mark's gospel, Jesus says it so well. He says, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant 
of all. In the kingdom of God, honor goes to the humble. So as we cultivate humility, modeled on Jesus, we see that true humility does not make Jesus less, but also we see that true humility does not come from a place of insecurity, but a place of confidence. In verse 6, we saw that Jesus is God in very nature, is what it says. And that's not news to Jesus. Forgive me if that seems a little obvious. But Jesus knew he was God. He actually knew who he was. But take a look at the second half of that verse. It says, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Notice that Jesus' humility doesn't come from a place of insecurity. He wasn't uncertain of who he was, looking for a pick-me-up, hoping for some pats on the back, fishing for compliments of making, by making himself lowly. He wasn't doing that. No, true humility comes from a place not of insecurity, but of confidence. Jesus knew, he, knew who he was. Jesus could have used it for his own advantage. He didn't need to humble himself, but he chose to. Not to satisfy some kind of insecurity in his life, but for our sake. Jesus' humility does not come from a place of insecurity, but of confidence. And so too it must be with us if we want to cultivate humility in our lives. So true humility, it's motivated by unity, by love for others. It's modeled on Jesus. And finally, it's made possible by the blessings of God. If I'm honest, as I was preparing uh, for this sermon this week, I was reading through the passage, thinking about humility. And my reaction was, this sounds great, but I could never live up to this. This is a high standard. You see, if we're going to pursue unity, pursue humility, motivated by unity and modeled on Jesus, but if we're going to walk through those doors at the end of the service and we're going to start working on humility in our own strength, it won't work. It might for a little while, but not for very long. You might think less about your own needs and try to help out other people. You might work hard on being humble about your achievements rather than bragging and showing off, all power to you. But on your own, I don't think realistically you'll be able to sustain that for that long. A humility that is motivated only out of concern for others, that's modelled on the life of Jesus. And I'm somehow meant to find the strength to do that within. Well, in the words of Jesus, he says, For man, impossible. But for God, everything is possible. And so as we think about cultivating true humility, today I want to hold out the hope and the promise that actually true humility is possible. And the comfort is this, that if you trust in Jesus, then God gives you the resources that you need to pursue true humility. You see, before encouraging the Philippians to pursue unity through humility by putting others first and imitating Christ, before all of that, take a look with me at verse 1. We sort of skipped over it for a good reason. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement 
from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then, verse 3, make my joy complete. Jesus uses these four if statements for rhetorical effect. But if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, then the answer to those if questions is a resounding yes. Being united with Christ, it brings encouragement. It leads to comfort. As followers of Jesus, we enjoy friendship with the Holy Spirit, all of which is at work in you to produce tenderness and compassion and overflow into humility. You see, God gives us the resources we need to pursue humility. Apart from God, we'll fail. But with the blessings of God, they make true humility possible. Consider this. In the example of Jesus, we saw that true humility comes from a place of confidence. Being in relationship with Jesus can give you that confidence. Encouragement and comfort, friendship with the Holy Spirit, tenderness and compassion. If you have faith in Jesus, then your identity is secure. You're a child of God. Your brother is Jesus. You've been bought at a price and now stand forgiven and approved before him. That's your source of confidence. And so as we pursue humility, we can do it from a place of confidence, not insecurity, not looking for compliments and fishing for praise. You see, true humility is made possible by the blessings of God and the confidence that that gives us. If you've been to Explore Alpha, and I know it's starting, I think, today, right? You might have heard this story before. Uh, It's about Corrie ten Boom. She was a Dutch Christian who hid Jews during World War II. She was caught, and along with her father and her sister, Corrie ten Boom was taken to a Nazi concentration camp. Her father and her sister died there. And after the war, Corrie ten Boom travelled around telling people about Jesus and about her experience and the things she'd learned. One day she was speaking at a church in Berlin when a man approached her to ask a question. Have a listen. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin and there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Boom, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? Suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel aufseers in concentration camp. And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian. I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world, also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein Tambom, will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw, when I experienced that I could not forgive, Suddenly I knew 
I myself have no forgiveness. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5.5. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. Koten Boom's story is an incredible example of forgiveness, but also of humility. Without the humility to humble herself to the request of this repentant soldier, Koten Boom would not have been able to entertain the thought of that kind of forgiveness. You see, Koten Boom, in her humility, was motivated by a desire for unity for this now brother in Christ. She adopted the lowly position modeled on Jesus and came to the realization that such humility is only made possible by the blessings of God. Category-defying humility is possible. So with God's help, will you cultivate that kind of humility? Let me pray that we might together pursue that kind of true and genuine humility. Let's pray. Lord God, would you come and cultivate humility in our lives? Set our hearts to be motivated by a genuine and deep love for others, for unity. Set our eyes on Jesus the supreme example of humility, and let him be the model of our humility. And finally, thank you, God, that as we cultivate humility in our lives, that you have provided all the resources that we need, your encouragement, your comfort, your love. Humble us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.